Good. There we are. Good morning. morning. Wonderful music this morning. You agree? Just great. Fantastic. My name is Bert DeYoung, and uh, Rev, the uh, lead. Rev, the uh, lead pastor, is off doing his thing in uh, Camp Geneva on the shores of Lake Michigan this morning. Greg is busy doing all sorts of things as he does every Sunday. If only he could preach. (laughs) Really, I just uh, thank God for your gifts, Greg, including your preaching. Um, And I, I just can't thank Rev, Greg, uh, the elders, those who make worship decisions, Car and others, for the opportunity to preach this morning because the, the uh, theme that I've been asked to speak on is one that is at the very core of my being. I cannot think of anything that, you know, I'm just kind of choke up thinking about it, really. This morning, some of the songs, they wreck me inside. Um, That's what the cross of Christ does to me. It just almost leaves me speechless. Almost. (laughs) So we're going to close the series of messages uh, leading to the end of the summer as the days are already getting shorter and the evenings a bit longer and we're going to wind up a series of messages on a transforming encounter that Jesus has with a man that we're simply going to know this morning as thief and As Greg and Rev have unpacked over the summer, they've had these incredible transforming encounters with all kinds of ordinary people, some of whom are familiar to us, others of whom we have come to know better through the messages of the summer. And this morning we're going to take a look at a final encounter that Jesus has as his earthly ministry just prior to a new state of being for him comes into being, namely his encounter with this person on the cross named Thief. So I want to take you to a hill outside of the, uh, it's the north wall of Jerusalem, and uh, we have a picture of it here. It's called Skull Hill or Golgotha Hill, a contemporary picture as you can see. And if you look at the picture and see to the right, there is sort of a skull shape, is there not, in the uh, the soft limestone, can you see it there in the rock with the two eye sockets and the nose? And it is thought for some uh, time now that this may well be the site of Jesus' crucifixion, Skull Hill, and that he, having then been crucified at this site, would have been buried at a site that is almost adjacent in a place called the Garden Tomb. This is, in fact, a picture taken from the Garden Tomb. Some of you have stood and looked at that very seen. Now we imagine that on the crest of the hill there would have stood 2,000 years ago three crosses. A center cross occupied by none other than the Son of God, Jesus himself, the person who is at the very center of what this church is about and at the very center of what so many of you have come to know and believe in your own faith. And then Flanking him on either side, two people called simply in the Bible criminals or thieves or malefactors, depending on the version of scripture you use. 
Jesus is the dividing line between these two people. One is headed for heaven, the other is we assume, and it may be an assumption that some would question, but we assume he is headed for hell. We don't know what happened in his final hours, but we can assume that one is headed for life and the other is headed for death and each of them for their eternity. But right in the center of them is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is always, always, always the dividing line between life and death. It is the center, central teaching of Scripture that the person of Jesus Christ is the defining truth between life and death, the separation, the great divide. Jesus talks about that in lots of different places. He says that you are either a sheep or a goat, and you don't want to be a goat. He says you are either among those who I say, come to me or depart from me. You either eat the bread of life or you eternally starve. You drink living water or you are forever thirsty. He is the dividing line. There simply is no middle ground. It is one side or the other. Two criminals, each representing their own side. So now we're visiting that hill in the last hours of Jesus' life. It's close to his death. He'd been crucified sometime around 9 o'clock in the morning. It is now somewhere between noon and 3 o'clock in the afternoon. It is a day called Good Friday. These two thieves have been crucified with him, and there they have been hanging, suspended between heaven and earth with Jesus, the dividing line between them. And Luke describes the scene as Jesus is nearing his death. Listen to these words. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly. We are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. And this is the word of the Lord. So who are these two? Luke and others call them criminals or thieves or malefactors. What do we know about them? You learn if you visit prisons or you spend any time around even a jail that one question you do not ask, in fact, you're often told not to ask it, don't ask an inmate why he's there. What did you do? What did you do to get here? If they want you to know, they'll tell you. But it's simply not protocol to ask what they've done. Somehow Luke must fall into that category because he chooses not to tell us under the influence of the Holy Spirit what these people did to get them on that hill alongside Jesus. Simply, they are criminals and they are condemned to death. Now, we know things about Roman law and we know that there were capital crimes in the Roman Empire, but the reality is we do not know why these two men are being crucified, except whatever it is they did, they are paying the ultimate punishment. They are serving their death sentence. The fact that they are now on different sides of Jesus again illustrates the fact that they see him so differently. The one mocks him and says, well, if you are who you are, why don't you, if you, say, if you are who you say you are, why don't you come down from that cross and take us with you? You know, do what you say you can do if you're the Christ. 
And the other, because there is that dividing line, looks at Jesus and he says to the man on the other side of Jesus, what are you, what are you thinking? We're here because we're getting what we deserve. He hadn't done anything. There's the difference, right? The one who sees Jesus as a liar, a fool, someone who leads people astray, a dying hope, and on the other side, Jesus is the innocent suffering for all the guilty. Two criminals, two sides, Jesus in the middle. Now, before we leave the word criminal, can I just lead us down a short side trail? There are two verses in the Bible, if you set them side by side, they help people define themselves, see ourselves as the word of God sees us. And for me, they're kind of a bit easy to remember because they kind of fall into a pattern. 323, 623. Romans 323, Romans 623, okay? And some of us memorized these words a long time ago when we were involved in an evangelism thing and we came to a place in conversation with people when we would say to them, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. It's short, 3.23. And then we went on to say, and the wages of sin is death. So if you add 3.23 to 6.23, it equals, does it not, we're all sinners under a death sentence. I mean, isn't that what it says? If everybody's in this category, and if being in this category means that you are serving a death sentence, then we're all under that sentence. That's the message that Paul gives in the opening chapters of the book of Romans. Everybody is there. Nobody is not there. I think I've got the math right, don't I? We're in the same place when it comes to being sent. We're all criminals. We're all malefactors. We're all guilty. And the wages of sin is death. Now, if we uh, closed in prayer and sent you home at this point, you think, well, that was a lot less than I'd hoped to hear on a Sunday morning. <laughs> really? The verse, of course, doesn't end there, does it? You can, you can finish Romans 6.23. Can, can you not? Maybe, maybe you can. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is thank you, eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. death sentence, but there is a gift of life. There is a reprieve. There is a pardon. There is a forgiveness for the most hardened criminal, the greatest sinner among us. The great news is the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So you remember the next words of the criminal who said to his friend or at least the other person on the other side of Jesus, what are you thinking? We're getting what we deserved. He hasn't done anything. He says, now turning to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Frederick Beekner writes, there are no more human words in all scripture than these. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I understand, I think, I get that. You probably do too. To be taken from this earth, no matter how you're taken from this earth, and then to be 
leaving behind everyone and everything that has been a part of our human experience is a frightening, depressing, difficult thought for us. And one of the things that helps sustain us in that kind of thinking is the idea that we may be gone, but we will at least not be forgotten. Because to be forgotten, to simply pass from this life or pass from a relationship or pass from a moment without anybody remembering our being there is an unsatisfying and difficult idea. We long to be remembered. We long to have somebody say to us, I do remember you. You are not forgotten. I get that. Now, when the thief next to Jesus says, Lord, remember me, what is he saying? Do you think he is hoping that somewhere in the future he will encounter Jesus again and Jesus will look at him and say, yeah, I remember you. We're on that cross together. I remember. Well, that's not a satisfying thought either, is it? That he would be simply remembered as a casual kind of encounter at a significant moment in Jesus' life. It's like, yeah, we had this shared experience and it was really powerful for me and I remember being there with you. We were in this thing together. Do you remember that? I don't think that's what he had in mind at all. I think he was asking something deeper, something greater, something more important. So what do you think it might be that he was wanting from Jesus? Listen to his words. Lord, remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember. If I ask you what's the opposite of the word remember, you would say forget. Yeah, I would too. That's what we just talked about. I remember means that now there is a place in my consciousness in which we've had this encounter, we've had this relationship. I can recall it, I can dredge it up, I can bring it back. It is a part of who we are together. That's remembering. But there's another sense of remembering that I think is a bit deeper and maybe gets at what's going on in the cross between Jesus and the thief. Remember. Re-member. If I ask you what is the opposite of re-member, you might say dismember, right? To be dismembered is to be cut apart, to be ripped open, to be torn out wide. If something is dismembered, it is cut into pieces, it is sliced, it is fractured, it is divided, it is separated, it is dismembered. And to remember means to put back together that which has been torn apart. And the truth of crime, the truth of sin, is that every crime, every sin is a dismemberment. It rips something, it tears something, it divides something, it fractures something. A lie is a dismembering of truth. A moment of indiscretion is a dismembering of faithfulness. Anger is a dismembering, at least rage that results in evil acts, is dismemberment of self-control. 
It's a tearing apart. It's a ripping. And in a deeper sense, every sin, every crime is a dismembering of a human relationship with the God who put us on this earth with something better in mind. And we tear it apart. Every criminal is guilty of dismembering victim families. Lives torn apart. Property torn apart. Businesses torn apart. Futures torn apart by dismemberment. Relationships torn apart by dismemberment. All of this ripping apart and a thief on the cross has his own story of dismemberment. That which he has left in his wake. Victims, communities, societies ripped apart by crime, evil, and in our personal lives, sin. So it could be, could it not, that the plea from the cross from this criminal is, Lord Jesus, remember me. Put back together what my life has torn apart. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. I don't have to look deep into myself to find it there. It is a hollow feeling in the pit of my stomach that has been created by dismembering experiences and moments. What I said, what I did, what I should have said, what I did not do, all of those things tear at truth and wholeness and life. Remember me. Lord, remember me. Put me back together again. I am torn apart and I want to be put together again. Remember me, Lord, when you come into your kingdom. It's a prayer that I understand and I think you do as well. And I want to remind you that being remembered, put together again, is exactly what God has in mind in sending Jesus into this world. Paul's great statement, Ephesians 1.9 God made known to us the mystery of his will to bring all things together under one head, even Jesus Christ. He puts it all together again in Jesus, his son. Everything that has been torn apart, everything in the kingdom of God is healed, brought together, remembered. What a promise. What a hope. There is hope for the dismembered because of Jesus who hangs between two criminals. Every sermon, I think, yeah, I think I could say that. Every sermon needs to take a turn toward Jesus Christ. If he's not the center, there's something, someone missing. Every moment in worship somehow needs to focus on who he is, what he's done, and what God has done through him. He is the center not only of two criminals, he's the center of an entire incredible string of transformed lives. Every person we met this summer at last turned to Jesus and the focus is there on him, who he is and what he's done. And Jesus is listening to these words, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he says to this thief, he didn't say much on the cross, we only think he said seven things. But one thing he said was, Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. 
Really, Jesus, I mean this. This is truth. He only speaks the truth because, right, he is the way, the truth, and the life. He can't speak a lie. Every word from his lips, absolute truth. Bank on it. Bank on it. I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. Today, today. There's an immediacy about that word. There's a sense that this is something that is just around the corner for the thief on the cross. Today, and when you look at the word today in Scripture and you look at the word today in the vocabulary of Jesus, you find it has a power, it has a force, it has a meaning. I think of the words, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. I think of the words, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. There is a moment that says, this is today, this moment, when the one who divides two criminals, one headed for eternal life, the other for eternal death, today is the day when you decide where you stand in relationship with Jesus Christ, the Son of God on the cross, today. Today, he said to the criminal. So if you've been around here this summer, let me ask you, and I'd ask you to think about it for a moment as deeply as you can in a place like this and a time like this. Have you found your today, your encounter with Jesus Christ, centered in the person of the one who hung on a cross to pay for your sins and mine? Have you found in him your hope of eternal life? And do you look to him as the only one who can remember your dismembered experience? Put together all that has been torn apart. Do you know that? Today, all it takes is a quiet prayer from a needy heart. Lord, remember me today. Today. Today you'll be with me in paradise, said Jesus. When I think of those words right away, I wonder what paradise is like. The Bible doesn't really say a lot about paradise. It's mentioned three times. Heaven has a lot more information about it. But paradise, it's apparently the picture of some walled garden. It's a Persian word that describes a walled garden in a lovely setting. Some say it may be a recreated world in the Garden of Eden. Others have other ideas about it. The truth is the Bible really doesn't tell us very much about it. And I think, in fact, that today... To think about paradise isn't exactly what Jesus wants us to think about because here are his words. Today, you will be what? With me. Paradise isn't about a place. It's about a person. It isn't about a lovely space we occupy. It is about the most incredible person we will ever occupy any space with. Today you will be with me. That, I think, is the heart of the text. That, I think, is the heart of the comfort to one who longs to be remembered. Oh, to be with Jesus. Oh, to know that one who is the center of the universe, the one who divides right and left, 
those far from him and those coming to him. Oh, to be with that one for all eternity, forever and ever. To be with the one in whose name all things are remembered. Can't get any better. Lord, remember me. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, remember me. All that is broken, all that has been lost, all that creates pain, all the pain that I have felt, we have felt. We pray, Lord God, that in the person of your Son, Jesus Christ, who died on a cross, we may find ourselves remembered, part of a great kingdom in which all things are brought together. And looking forward to that day when in paradise we will spend eternity with Jesus, the only one who can put together the broken parts and pieces of all our lives. How great, how deep, how glorious your love for us. Lord, remember us. When you come into your kingdom and everyone said, Amen.